Let's stand together. Uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, introduction to Jesus. Introducing Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And may God bless the reading of His Word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Our text this morning is from John's Gospel, of course, and it draws attention. Uh, our purpose today be to draw attention to these introductory words uh, that John used to begin this great epistle. Uh, one commentary uh, said this about John. Uh, his brother James was dead. Peter, the leading apostle to the Jews, was dead. Paul, the intrepid apostle to the Gentile world, was dead. Thomas, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, all the apostles, they were all dead. Except for one. This lonely old man living on the Isle of Patmos, the first and the last of the apostles, John. He understood, of course, that uh, Matthew and, and Luke and Mark had already written a story about his life. He understood that uh, uh, Mark began uh, with uh, the ministry of John the Baptist. And he described then how John came into the world preaching about Jesus and how Jesus then began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Matthew and Luke both gave us the story of the nativity, of how Jesus was born in accordance with all those ancient prophecies in the city of Bethlehem. Well, John went back a little further. <laughs> in the beginning, he says. In the beginning. And by doing so, he projects our attention all the way back, as far as it's possible for us to go. In the last years of his life, perhaps we might expect John to be kind of taking it easy, maybe retiring, uh, kicking back for a little while. Instead, here he is writing. And in fact, not only would he write this gospel, but he would write uh, the three epistles that carry his name and also, perhaps most famously of all, the Apocalypse, uh, the book we call the Revelation, uh, John was writing. He was writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was writing because he knew there was much left to be told. He was writing as the last eyewitness of the apostles who was available to still tell the story authoritatively. To live out that commission that Jesus gave them, you shall be witnesses unto me. Almost literally to the end of his life, John the Apostle was giving witness to Jesus Christ, eyewitness testimony. John was not passing along something he had heard about. It wasn't something he had read about or studied. When he was talking about Jesus, he could say, I was there. I saw him. I talked to him. I was with him. Everything that he would relate had the credibility that only comes through eyewitness testimony. Many heresies were circulating about Jesus. A lot of correction needed to be done. John gave us all of those things. 
But in John chapter 20, he tells us why uh, he was writing, what was driving him overwhelmingly as he tells the story of Jesus. He said, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. During this season that we call Advent, our thoughts are dominated by the celebration of Christmas, by the birth of Jesus. But John, writing from his unique perspective, gives us this view. In the beginning was the Word. By doing so, he presents the majesty of Jesus Christ. His deity. His position as, as ruler, as king of all kings, his majesty. And he gives us three sweeping statements in this passage about Jesus that will declare for us his majesty. I always think about uh, uh, that, that great hymn that calls us uh, to worship his majesty. And that's exactly what John is doing when he calls us through these three great statements about Jesus declaring his majesty. These things are designed then to compel us to worship before him so that in all the business of the season, John reminds us to worship. Why? Well, first of all, because uh, in the beginning was the word. Uh, this speaks of how that Jesus was perpetually, is perpetually God. Time has been defined as a device to help finite beings relate to their mode of existence. The verb was in this passage is, not, is in the imperfect tense. That simply means that it's not a sense of past. In the beginning was. When we talk about something that was in English, we're talking about something that used to be, something in the past. But that was not true in the language that the New Testament was originally written in. And this imperfect sense, imperfect word, what is he talking about? Then is not about time. He is simply talking about something that is ongoing. And so when Jesus said, when he says, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was, uh, but it's kind of hard to translate into English. I think probably the best example is that Jesus was and is and is to come. Oh, yeah, it's not just the past. It's present and future. He has all of that. There's a place where time rules. Uh, that is in our life. Almost everything is ruled by time except church. Ha, 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 Oh, even here. Even here, we've got that ruthless thing called a clock. And uh, even if I don't look, that's all right. Y'all are looking for me. I don't have to look. I know, man. Uh, Y'all keep up with it real well. Uh, so much of life is ruled by time. But let's understand that Jesus Christ lives in a place where time is overruled. And that is eternity. The realm of Jesus. How does that play out? Well, in a practical sense, none of us had a history before we were born. If you live long enough and Jesus doesn't come call us out, there's a chance that one of these days uh, your name is going to end up on a stone. And that stone will have a date, and on that date will be your birthday. Uh, at the end of that, then, will be the day that you die. I hope it's a long time from now. Not to be morbid on you or anything, let's just understand. We do that because that's when your life began and ends. 
time means that all of us had a beginning. We began, as far as life is concerned, when we're born, as far as we have this legal understanding of things, our birthday. We all know it. But when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem so long ago, that was not his beginning. He went all the way. In the beginning was the Word. All the way. We notice that concept. In the beginning was the Word. A Word is an audible. That's something we hear. Or visual, something we read. Expression of a thought. Thoughts are incommunicable. Thoughts are indiscernible. Unless they are put into words. So when the Bible tells us that Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, John says in the beginning was the Word. Uh, that is where God took on a visible expression. That's Jesus Christ. I heard about a mother who was doing her ironing one day and she noticed her little boy was drawing picture very busily, working very hard. She just casually asked him, son, what are you drawing? And he said rather confidently, I'm drawing God. Well, she said, well, son, nobody's ever seen God. And nobody knows what he looks like. The little boy said, they'll know when I'm done. <laughs> oh, the confidence of a child. Let's understand Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The, the word used for image in Colossians simply speaks of a representation, whether it be by drawing or by statue or whatever it be, just a representation. The writer of Hebrews took it further when he says that he is the expressed image of the very person of God, and then he speaks about a die impress. That is something uh, like a signet ring that is pressed pressed into the wax, and it leaves behind then an exact image of what was on the ring. God then, speaking of Jesus Christ as the expressed image of His person, the visible image of the invisible God, the Word, where the mind of God, the thoughts of God, takes on then that visible form. That's Jesus Christ. He's also then in a form that we can perceive the Word was with God. So that while you can say in the beginning was the Word, John could also say the Word was with God. Now we call this doctrine, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Somebody might point out to you that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. They're correct. It's not there. That's a word that we have made to describe what's pretty complicated for us. How that God exists in three persons and yet just one personality. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one, one. The concept was hinted at in the Old Testament. The word Elohim, which was constantly translated for God out of the Hebrew, is a plural word. And it almost always would use a, a plural noun with a singular verb. It's very interesting how, how, the, how that played out 
It's difficult for us to comprehend. I could give you all kind of examples. Uh, they say that time is triune, past, present, and future. Uh, that doesn't help me much. Space is triune, yes. Length, breadth, and height. Human beings are triune, yes. Spirit, intellect, and body. But then there's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John just introduces us to this by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So that we can perceive then of God the Son individually, yet the same. And he goes on then to say, the Word was God. The Word was God. Someday you might uh, have an encounter with someone that knocks on your door and they begin to tell you then that you really can't call uh, Jesus God, that Jesus is creation, and, and uh, that He's not really God. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He came and did all this work, but He's not really God. God has a name, and it's not Jesus. Uh, I want you to, when that happens, they'll have a lot of confusing things. So when it happens, I want you to remember this passage, John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we talk then about the majesty of Jesus Christ, John reminds us that God took on a human form in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that though He was fully man, He's also fully God. And he died then for your sins and mine. Why was this so important? Flimsy humanity simply could not stand in the presence of Almighty God without being vaporized. I mean, his glory is incredible. How can sinful, fleshly humans have an encounter with God? And the answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. That's His majesty. Now notice His magnificence. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, John speaks of all things, but he does so in a way that considers them both uh, individually and separately. I could talk about humanity this morning. That's a, a big word, humanity. And yet humanity does not exist except as a collection of a whole lot of individual people. Every one of us unique, as unique as our fingerprint, as unique as the cornea of our eye. Every one of us is unique because our personality. There's only one you. There's humanity. There's a collection. But then humanity cannot exist except as a sum total of all of its parts. And that's all of us, humanity. When the Bible speaks of all things, then it calls attention to that exact same concept. All things. Not just humanity, but all of the universe. We can't even name all of the stars that God has created. We're still discovering 
new ones all the time. I think about that from time to time because as a little boy, I, I loved to have a, I had a telescope. I loved it, loved to get out on a clear night and, and look at the moon and try to see the constellations and stars. I was fascinated. I'm still fascinated by it. I've never outgrown that fascination. I think about it continually. Every time Hubble sees something new, finds some new discovery, something out there, I have to understand God put that out there long, long ago. Knowing, knowing that it was going to be this year before we ever got smart enough to even see what he had done. It had been there all the time. So much of our discoveries is really just figuring out what God has done. In the beginning was the word. All things then were made by him. All things. The whole creation in all of its individual, intricate complexity, every single bit of it was made by him. And as if that wasn't enough, he goes on and gives us the other side of it. Without him, nothing was made. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made it was as if John wanted to draw careful attention to the incontrovertible fact there is nothing in this universe that created itself. Nothing. All things were made by Him. In Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1, or Psalm 19 and 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The heavens declare the glory of God. It speaks every language on this planet. If you can go out on a clear, dark night, maybe out in the country, let me recommend it. If you hadn't been out in the country on a clear night lately, in a cool night, you need to go. Uh, just get out in your truck and drive out to where the lights stop. And look up. And if you can't look at that sky and hear the voice of God, you need to look again. Because the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. That's his work. But John also calls attention to his worth, his wealth. He holds, first of all, the wealth of life. What a profound statement he makes when he says, in him was life, in him was life. The more we learn about life, the more complex and elusive it proves to be. We sense only the difference between life and death or dying, but, oh, there's so much more there. Jesus, you see, had life within himself. He gave story, he did story, uh, thing after thing, and sign after sign he gave, told story after story that illustrated the fact that he had life in him was life, that God had given him life within himself. Uh, we would call that the power of generation. Jesus could make things alive. He showed that in John chapter 9 when he dealt with a man who was born blind. We don't know whether he had eyes. 
If he did, he must not have had ocular nerves. There was something wrong. He was born blind. This is a, a man who had never been able to see. Today we might see him as a candidate for an eye transplant. Jesus did not. <laughs> uh, Jesus sent him to go wash the mud out of his eyes that he put in it. And he washed and he came back seeing. Why? Because Jesus had the power of life. He had life within himself. And he could give life to those sightless eyes. I think about the man that he healed in the temple who, uh, like the blind man, had, was lame, the Bible says, from, from birth. We call that today a congenital birth defect. We have nothing. We have nothing for that person who's born with no legs. That person whose feet maybe stop. We, we have nothing. We have nothing. They had nothing then. But Jesus did. <laughs> and that man who had been born unable to walk. I don't know what was wrong with his legs. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I know this. Jesus. Jesus gave him the ability to walk. And he did. Not, it did not only stop with them. Jesus would pass that on to others. So that they too, the apostles, were able, by his power, not by their own. We think about the lepers who were healed. The incredible miracles. I love the story about when Jesus interrupted the funeral. And just touched the, the beer that, uh, that was being used to carry the body. And suddenly, somebody came back to life. Time after time, Jesus showed that he had life within himself. And he was able to do what no one else could do. But of course, the ultimate representation of that was when they killed him. But it, he didn't stay buried after they buried him. He came back to life. And he therefore proved that incredible statement that the Father has given him, Jesus, the ability to have life within himself. And so he's able then to promise you and I life. Jesus also then has the wealth of life, and the life was the light of men. Light re refers to the illumination, not just uh, turning the light on or being able to see with these eyes, but uh, illumination of our understanding, the illumination of our thought processes, the, what gives us then some sense of understanding about what I should do, about what life is, about how I should live it, about the direction that I should go. Illumination then has given us wisdom and understanding. In any field of study, as you study it and learn it, then you get a certain degree of illumination about that field of study, whatever it is. Some of them are, of course, better than others. Some are harder and uh, some uh, we place incredible value on. I say that some things are better than others because unfortunately not everything that's being taught in this world is the truth. And a lot of things, in fact, are influenced by the darkness. I think about the darkness of religion. 
about people then who are maybe highly intelligent, and yet they are taught to harbor superstition. They learn about religious darkness. They embrace, embrace then a lot of spiritual nonsense. They live their lives and face eternity in the darkness. There's a darkness of philosophy that calls people to study more and more and, 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 and believe less and less, understand less and less. There's a darkness of human depravity. And about the time we figure, well, you know, it can't get any darker than that, it does. It does. Darkness of science. Not too long ago, I heard many people in the media who were decrying the fact that there were many people in this country who do not believe in science. Now, let me, let me tell you something. I, I love science when I was going to school, and maybe you do too. Maybe you're a biology teacher, science teacher. I'm not putting down the study of science. Uh, whatever science learns that's true, <laughs> it, if it is true and right, uh, then I believe that, I accept it, and very thankful for it. We're all very thankful for the advances in medical science, aren't we? Aren't we thankful for what medical science can do? Uh, I, I think about it all the time. Uh, marvelous advances. That, and we discover things. We understand we're not anti-science. I'm not. But when science crosses the border from the study of the things that are into trying to tell us how things came to be, then the fact is science has a fundamental flaw. They start at the wrong place. And it is inevitable then that their conclusions are going to be wrong. I believe science when science is telling us the truth and they're able to demonstrate that this is real and right and factual. I don't have a problem with that. But when science starts trying to explain life and how life begins... It tells us both that life is incredibly complex, but at the same time it tells us it's so simple that a common rock could transform itself into a living matter. You say, why? Why would they believe that? Because to them the alternative is unthinkable. I believe science. I don't believe in it. No, I don't. Because they're... They start at the wrong place. Their beginning is out of order. So when I, I want to start at the beginning, <laughs> I'm going to go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. When it comes back then to knowing how things started, what the beginning is, because I know what the beginning is, I also know what the end is going to be. He has promised us and given us truth that is dependable. That is the light that comes from Jesus Christ. In Him was life, and this life then is the light of men. In his first epistle, John boldly declares in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son 
hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. In him was life. And the life, the life of Jesus Christ, is what gives us light. It's what gives us understanding. The life, then, that is in Jesus Christ is what helps us to perceive the universe. It's what gives us our worldview. It's what guides us through the darkness of this world. It helps us to understand what's true and what's not, what's valuable, what's worthless, what is for time, and what is for eternity. Let's sum it up this morning in a very simple way. John, you see, tells us about the haths and hath-nots. He that hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son hath not life. In the season of Advent, then, that is the foundational message that John introduces us to. It's what he puts out for us to think about. Matthew tells the story of the nativity. So did Luke. And, and we'll talk about that story. It's a great time. But all oh, doesn't John call out to humanity with this great message. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You say, preacher, man, you can't tell me I'm not alive. I'm sitting in Faith Baptist Church. I'm listening to you, kind of. I'm, I'm watching. I, I'm uh, kind of ready to go. I'm thinking about, you can't tell me I'm not alive. I'm sorry about the authority of God's Word. That's what I have to tell you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says, He, you hath he quickened, that's made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. John says, He that hath not the Son hath not life. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, then spiritually, eternally, you have physical life. Yes, you do. But you don't have spiritual life. And there's only one way to get that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We ask you this morning, have you received Christ as your Savior? What a tragedy it'd be to celebrate Christmas and yet not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, Jesus wasn't just born in a manger in Bethlehem. That wasn't even the beginning of the story. The story goes all the way back. This is a great story of God's redemption. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That included me. It includes you. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you followed Him in baptism? Maybe God has something else in store for you. Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to give you a time of invitation, a time of response. And maybe this morning is your time to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe it's your time to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe God is leading you to this church to become a member here. We'd love to have you to join up. It'll be a great time, great day to do that. And uh, just come, we'll take care of the paperwork for you, whatever that means.
But oh, listen. Do you know Jesus? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Hath or hath not.